my head as if it's going to be. So we're good. We're good. We're good. Welcome, welcome to all of those who are listening to our nonsense. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> this is Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Joseph. And today we're going to be discussing discipleship. Um, know that you can reach out to us uh, at anchoredanddevoted at gmail.com. Um, you can also reach out with a voicemail message. Uh, there's an attached link. You can just record yourself. We'd love to hear you ask a question. You might hear yourself in the next one or at least your question. Uh, but thanks for tuning in and know that you are an amazing part of God's body. You're created for a purpose that's unique and for this day. So, Jer, you decided that we were going to talk today about discipleship. I did. What was your thinking there? Well, the it's in the it's in the title of the podcast. Um, I think it is you know, the vision as we discussed it for this podcast is for new believers and discipleship with new believers is pretty much the uh, it's the flower and the cake. And I think it's an easy way to to get in and and say why we're doing what we're doing, who it's for, and why this one in particular. It's caused us to focus on it. Cool. I know for me, when you when you said let's talk about discipleship for this podcast, it became more real as far as the um, the truth about what we're looking to do as family. Um, that it doesn't matter where we are or who you know or how much money you have or anything like that. The the process for um, being anchored and devoted in your walk, your daily walk in this world that we live in, uh, requires us to be um, uh, having a disciple's mindset, a disciple's way of thinking, um, not just uh, I'm full of scripture and can throw it at you, but there's a, a disciplined life that comes uh, with following Christ. Um, and that's, at least for me, that's countercultural. Um, I mean, I know what a disciplined life is. You know, we both talk about running all the time. We talk about, you know, the military and other places where discipline is big. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know if discipline is that big in the church. <laughs> I, I, I would dare say it's not. In fact, I would say this is for another topic. Uh, fundamentalism is big in the church. Uh, discipline is not. And I think we could vet that out and uh, you know, untie that knot a bit. But um, well, for me, it is actually embarrassing to sit here and to think of questions that I would ask another person about discipleship because it causes me to examine my own life. Mm. And uh, with the people that I listen to and the people that I'm interacting with, I, uh, especially at my stage in life, as I'm looking and saying, I've got 40 years behind me, I hopefully have another 40 years ahead of me. What am I building to? And how am I doing at the goals I've set? Discipleship has always been a big part of that foundation. And it's been long enough that I can look back and say, well, how have I done with building on that foundation? And considering that in real time, having to take a focused look at that, like I said, it's embarrassing. 
And I don't think I'm alone there, which doesn't get me off the hook. Um, if anything, it for me is a motivating factor. But you know, let's let's cut right to the chase. Discipleship only exists because there's a God who sent His Son to bear the penalty of our sins and to give to us through the Holy Spirit the power to live the life that He's called us to. Which means all of this is by grace. And so the failures in my own discipleship, the failures in my discipleship as a husband and as a father, as a pastor, as a counselor, as a friend, all of those are kind of on, on one side of the line here as personal embarrassment, personal blemishes. And on the other side is Christ's righteousness and Christ's grace. And I can't take those two things and say, well, I'm absolved or I'm just a pig in a, in a, in a sty. It's, it's both and. And that for me is motivating. The same way as finishing a run that's been difficult. And, uh, you know, I've gone out too fast and I've winded myself and I can't finish the run that I intended to. That's a motivating thing for me personally. That's where I am. Say, hey, this is what I did wrong. This is where I can improve. This is what I can change. And by God's grace, next time I hit the, the road, next time I hit the word, this is how I'm going to approach it because it's worth it. The end result here is that I can become more like, more like Christ. And the end result for my family is that my kids can grow up into people, this is what I tell them all the time, who can raise other people to be like Christ. That, that's, my, that's my focus here. That's my target is I'm not looking at my kids and saying, well, my goal is to raise good kids. My goal here is to raise children into adults who can raise children into adults who will follow Christ. Mm. So that's your definition, I'm assuming, of discipleship. I mean, around that way, absolutely. I mean, it, it's I wasn't intentionally quoting from Second uh, Timothy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. Okay, I know for me, I came to Christ early in life, um, and discipleship wasn't really what I was looking for. That wasn't a thought. Like it, no one said, hey, would you like to be a disciple of Christ? It was more, would you like to be saved with an understanding that I came to Christ not out of fear, but out of love. Um, yeah. I came to Christ as a kid because I saw my mom's love for God being so strong in her life that I wanted what she had. And that was her discipling without her preaching or um, cajoling. It was her genuine walk that was attractive to me and attracted me to God. Yeah. Um, and so she was making a disciple. And I hope, at least in my life, that I do the same, where I make God so attractive to others because they see his love and feel his love and know his love through me in an overflowing way that they want to be useful vessels for him. And so um, I know for my son, my wife, and the rest of my family, my sister, my mom, again, others, you, your bride, your kids, um, that's how I view discipleship, that it, it really is me being so open to what God wants to do in my daily walk, in my daily um, interactions with others that I'm gonna make the space and make sure he has the space to be seen by others um and i know that's 
different in every situation. Um, but what is, when you think of discipleship, what does that look like on a daily basis? Because you talked about some of the wins as well as some of the losses. What is? Yeah, um, discipleship. Um, there's there's a personal responsibility, uh, things that I do myself, and then there's things that I have to put my way, put myself in the way of to receive. Um, so discipleship is me investing into digging into the word, which I'll be honest right in front here and say, I am the weakest right there right now. And it's not a historical thing, but it's historically, I've had these ups and downs where it's easy for me to be in the word sometimes, and sometimes it's a long time before I crack the spine. Um, but that's, that's the foundation is I'm in the word, I'm in prayer, I'm meditating on scripture, but it's, it's not the, it's not the catechism that I'm doing with my kids right now. Um, it's, it's actually sitting and it's trying to sit at the feet of God and relate to him as he speaks to me through his word. And, and not that he's, not that there's some mystical, he's given me an answer to a question I have, but he's revealing himself. Um, and this is becoming more fundamental to the way I think. I think all knowledge is received, with the exception of very, very few things which can actually be called discoveries. All knowledge is received. Uh, I taught my kids how to understand who they were, what their name is, who I am, what a parent is. I taught them what a tree was and a dog. I taught them how to say these things. When they came into the world, when they, you know, when they came literally through my wife's body into this world, we received them and we began to pour into them. And one of the primary ways that we have done that is through speech. And when I want to look at scripture and I look at the Gospel of John, and I look at first, and I go back and I look at Genesis. God is speaking all the time, and He has spoken and revealed Himself to us, and uh, not just introduced Himself, but described Himself, described His expectations, described His methods and His means and His goals and His purposes to us in Scripture. My goal is to be sitting in that so that I can hear Him more clearly. So I can know who he is more intimately. So that when, when someone asks me to describe God, I have the same ability to do that as I do to describe my guitar or my vehicle or my kids, something that I'm intimately familiar with because I'm constantly touching it, I'm using it, I'm examining how it responds to me when I respond to it and what that interaction relationship is. But that, that's only the first part. The second part of discipleship is putting myself in the way to receive feedback. Um, and, and that, I don't think, comes primarily through the scriptures. I think that feedback comes primarily through the relationships that God's called us into, um, first and foremost, in marriage. Secondly, in the body of believers. And, and within the body of believers, I'm going to put the spiritual friends, uh, the, the relationship that you and I share, where we can and are called to walk in that kind of David and Jonathan way of being able to speak, being able to watch each other's lives over the long term, see patterns, and have the freedom to offend each other. Because we know 
that we have the commitment of loving each other. Mm. Being able to receive that feedback. And then the third step um, is turning and giving that same kind of feedback to the next generation so that um, it doesn't end with, with me. Now, I want to I want to turn this and ask you a question because I've kind of based this premise on discipleship requires interaction with other people, and we can look at scripture. We can we can look at Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy uh, as a model of how to do discipleship. But I want to ask you this, especially for the new believers: Why do we say it is in fact necessary to be discipled by another person? Why isn't it enough? Um, me to just go to scripture and hear from God and study the scriptures to be a faithful Christ follower. Hmm. Well, you just talked about how information is uh, how um, you really get a better understanding of who God is, who Christ is, who his spirit is. Um, that, that information if it's given just through um, text, uh, often ends up being a crystallized information where it's very much um, formed and modeled by someone else. And so there, I mean, there are thousands of books on discipleship and each one can tell you how best to do it. And there's no relationship with the author there at all. It's, it's telling you, it's transmitting the information. It's put in a form that's easily consumable but it doesn't spur you to do the action, which often is found with the flow of information in relationship. So as you read the word and you consume it and it's in your heart, and now you're interacting with those that are homeless or those that are lost, as well as those that are believers, the spirit of God can move and bring those scriptures to mind so that you understand, oh, this is how it works in this setting as well as even for this season. When it comes to discipleship, the idea of being poured into, yes, God fills us. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit. But that sharpening is for a purpose. When it comes to brother to brother, sister to sister, husband and wife, that's for a purpose to be used, to bring in the harvest, to water, to bring forth the work that God wants to do through you and with you. Um, and so relationship is huge for God. It's in the very beginning, Genesis, you see relationship is there. When, when God said, where are you to Adam and Eve? Even though they were in sin, he was given them an opportunity for relationship. And they, they chose to be self-focused and self-centered. And that, that is what happens when we just try and stick by ourselves. If we don't allow for the spirit of God and others to challenge us, we miss out. If we're expecting God to work in the way we want, we're definitely putting ourselves in the wrong position because God's the one in charge, not us. And so he's brought these people into your lives to pour into you, for you to pour into, not just, again, with the crystallized information, but a flowing, consistent, growing relationship. That's important. It's huge. And it's required of us as family. So let me ask you a follow-up question now. Do you, do you personally, and I'm assuming you do, do you personally have a story where you have benefited from being discipled by another person? I do. Um, 
I'd love to hear one. I have a uh, pastor friend, still, still good brother, um, who almost every other week I would sit down and talk with about my whole life. And so often with discipleship, we just view it as only right. the, you know, the spirit. <laughs> um, <Keep it> clean. <laughs> yeah, like, but he would look at my whole life as far as my work, my time, my family. <clears throat> the time I was serving in the church. And he would ask me the tough questions. And he would um, be intentional to make it so that there was nothing between me and God during our time. Because that's what I was seeing. Even as he was asking the questions, he continually pointed me back to God. Mm. And what challenged me on the cultural things that I was accepting or the norms that I was bending to that were not of God and not in his word and not definitely in his people. And he was gentle. And at the same time, he was, it hurt. <laughs> it was very strong. Um, there were often tears shed and I, I would laugh because my goal was not to cry. And, <laughs> um, but it was, it was definitely a discipling process because um, God was in the midst of it. So this wasn't about, you know, how to make my marriage better, how to, you know, make me a better employee. This was all about the following process. And often it started with the things that most people would consider peripheral in my life that led and pointed back to, okay, you put yourself yes. in the wrong seat. You're, yes. you're, you're trying to be in charge again. And discipleship really makes it so that daily I'm following God. Like that's, that's the big thing. It's not memorizing all the words in the Bible. And again, that crystallized knowledge, I, I've got it in my head, but it's not in my heart. It hasn't reached my hands yet. It, it's, it's not that it's about actively engaging with God on a regular basis. You even said it like getting into the word, not just to preach a sermon, not just to do a Bible study with family, but getting in to be with God and knowing that it's okay for me to sit here and just read this verse over and over again and enjoy it because it's beautiful. And he inspired David to write it, or he knew that in this time, in this season, I would pick up this book of Galatians and need to be challenged on my sin. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, but discipleship is definitely action oriented. Like it's not, it's not a passive sport. <laughs> not <laughs> it's about full contact if you're doing it right. <laughs> right. So you, you said something there that, that I picked up on. Um, and I want to flip, reflect back to you for a second. You, you talked about how your mentor, let's call him a mentor, the person doing discipleship, did two things. He, A, brought God into the conversation intentionally, but not just in, a, in uh, an affirmational way kind of way, but he did so in a, in a, in a correctional way, uh, and he brought you to scripture, mm -hmm. and what this, what this makes me think of is he's walking you through a process of renewing your own mind. He's basically sitting there at the sink with you, saying, okay, well, you missed a spot there, and it might be because you're getting lazy. It might be because you didn't see it. It might be because you didn't scrub hard enough. I'm not sure why, but let's take a look at this plate again. Let's put it back under the water. Let's put the soap back on. 
and let's go back to uh, scrubbing it. And that, that process of renewing our minds is one that, I think if I were to put it this way, I would say the renewal of our minds is the action of sanctification. My, my behavior follows my thought life. It follows my, my thought life follows my beliefs, what I deserve, what I'm owed, what I ought to do. And I act out of that based on my desires and my emotions, you know, all this kind of cloud of things. And I want my actions to be better. I want to be looked at as someone who lives a good life when my actions are evaluated. But that changing my actions is a matter of conditioning. Changing my heart is a matter of sanctification, and my heart is changed through the process of my mind being renewed. Because mm -hmm. to be blunt, my mind is warped. Mm -hmm. My mind is self-centered. My mind is clouded. My mind is, is broken. I don't have the mind of Christ. And yet when you look through uh, the writing of, of the apostles, this is a, a often repeated theme, is let your mind be renewed by God, by the work of the Spirit. Have the mind of Christ in you that Christ has. And, and that's the goal here that I'm after with my own discipleship and with my kids. It's, it would be, I think, beneficial, but insufficient for me to turn to my kids and say, be kind to your brother or sister because being kind is a good thing. It would be true and beneficial, but insufficient for me to say, be kind to your siblings because you love me. I think where we reach the fullness of motivations when we say, be kind to your brother or your sister or to the person who is in fact trying to do you harm because God has loved you and you have been the recipient of an overwhelming ocean of grace. And out of that, respond to this event out of your love for God, out of your gratitude for what he has already done for you. And I, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've been in church my entire life. I've been around a lot of very good, very solid Christians. And um, I would just, I would estimate here, most people don't while they understand this and while they would agree to it, living it out is something that is not normal. It is the abnormal thing about a Christian. And honestly, you know, people say, I can tell you that person a Christian by had the spirit. That's the spirit that I pick up on most and most quickly is are they operating with themselves and the people around them out of a grace that says, I didn't deserve, you don't deserve what I've received, and so I'm going to give. And that's what I want to cultivate um, with kids, with my friends, my family, and that's where I also see myself woefully short, as I'm sure you do as well. So how do we place that expectation out there for other believers <clears throat> with the understanding that um, there are expectations that we need to live up to? Um, yeah. That again, the work doesn't bring you to 
salvation, Christ has done the work. That, that's not it. But there is a faith that should lead to works out of love in him. And I'm still struggling with, as a disciple, how to <clears throat> how to motivate, how to support, how to um, encourage myself as well as others um, when it comes to when it when it comes to the expectations again of the new mind, the um, the forsaking of the old nature. Like I, I know that I am free to not sin, and at the same time I do. I know that I am free to not read the Bible, <laughs> but I'd be starving myself. Um, I, I understand that um, there are seasons, as you stated. Um, you know, one season I'm reading the Bible like I'm starving, and then the next season it seems like I'm full. Um, <clears throat> how do I cultivate that love with God and have others love God as strongly so that the seasons are not so drastic, not so, um, not so overwhelming. So it's not, I'm not only going to God when things seem bad. Yeah. Well, I can tell you a lot of bad ways to it. Um, personal experience. Um, <laughs> One answer this way. I think love begets love. Um, I don't want to sidetrack myself with, with a, a rabbit trail here, so let me try to coalesce this a little bit. Our society is deeply individualized, deeply individualistic. Um, and it is very easy for us to think that all good things are necessarily already residing within me. But I've already said that all knowledge is received knowledge. All love and all relationship is also received because we are not our own beginnings. None of us. Um, each of us came from somewhere and received before we were able to give. So, to answer this question, I, I have to go here and say, one, if Jesus really did come to earth as the God-man, if he really did die, if he was buried and really did rise from the dead, then God is real and he's spoken truth. If God has spoken truth and I don't want to live a deluded life, I need to understand that truth. Now, if I understand that truth, if I'm pursuing that truth, then one of the first things that becomes very evident to me is there is a, there's a path, there's a story here, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'm somewhere in the middle, but there is an end. And if on any journey, if I want to reach a particular destination, I have to make sure that I'm following the right route. And there may be many routes to get to that destination, but each route needs to be evaluated. It's going to have pitfalls. And I need to make sure once I've chosen a route that it's a good route 
and then I'll get distracted from that route. Once I start that route, the motivation that keeps me going is the fact that I know there's a destination. And a destination, in this case, is arguably so incredibly superior to what I have now that there, there, you know, as Paul says, there is no comparison between what we are living in now and what we will be when we reach that destination. When you and I, when we take our final breath, we stand before God and he ushers us into his kingdom through the blood and the cross of his son. When that happens, we reach heaven. That destination, that journey, I think, you know, it's a totally different point. I think it continues on. I don't, I look forward to seeing where that goes. But for now, it's good enough for me to recognize that what I have, what I'm living in right now, is so incredibly subpar from what I'm going to. But I have to say, well, if, if this is true, if all of this is true, and, and I think very firmly that it is, then that destination is worth working hard for. It's worth setting out a plan and a process and a map and then ensuring that I guard that and I don't get distracted, I don't get pulled off course. And the metaphor for me here is, you know, if I'm People can't see me. Uh, right now, I weigh in at about 250 pounds. I'm about five foot nine. I've got big shoulders, but I'm, a, I'm not just a big guy broad. Um, I've lived most of my life as a big guy very poorly. If I want to be healthy in order to live a, a long and enjoyable life, wrestling with my kids, being able to keep up with them as they are vital, if I want to maintain that vitality, A, I I have to see the, the reason for doing so as being worthwhile. And the reason that I have is I don't want to get old so I can become crotchety. I want to get old so I can enjoy all of the relationships I have now and watch my children and my friends and be a part of their lives and not just watch their lives, but be engaged in their lives in an active way and in a sacrificial way to join in with them in their journey. Well, if that's my goal, then there are things I need to be doing, and there are things that I need to make sure I'm not doing. If I have a goal of getting up in the morning at 5.15 and starting with my planks and making sure the dishes are cleared out of the, the dish drain so that we can make lunches for the kids, and the kids are up by 6.30 and dressed and going out and bre getting breakfast, well, that, that means that the night before, I can't stay up until whenever I want, watching whatever I want. And if I intend to go and put in five or six miles while the kids are on their way to school, I can't eat whatever I want first thing in the morning. I can't eat whatever I want the night before. Each of these decisions that I make that previous night need to not only be influenced, but guided by the goals I have for this morning. And I ask myself, does this decision help me or does it get in my way? It's the same principle in discipleship. My goal is not just to get to heaven's gate and God say, well, you stink, but come on in. We've got a line over there. We'll clean you up. And, and my goal is that when I get there, what I hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is not something that happens in an instant. Faithfulness is judged over the entire lifespan. 
And the question is, will I have been faithful for however many years God gives me, or will God, will I look back at that highlights reel and say, well, there were, you know, there were a few, lived 85 years and I had a good, faithful three and a half years. That, that's a failure. You know, that's a failure. And what have I missed out on if that's been my life? And what have I robbed others of if that's been my life? And how have I belittled the name and the work of Christ if that's been my life? Because my goal, my goal is to bring Christ glory. My, my goal is to lift his name up. My goal is to be, as you said, a demonstration of God's power and his love and his mercy and his wisdom and his grace to the people around me such that they smell, <laughs> they smell how good God is. When I walked into the house this morning, I ran, ran almost eight miles this morning. I finished my run. I walked into the house. My wife was in the kitchen. And as soon as I opened the door, what greeted me was a smell of hot, fresh brownies mm. sitting on yeah. Now, with physical things, I can be much more disciplined than in other areas. So it, there was not an allurement that says, oh, I got to bust into that, okay? <laughs> I do want to grab some donuts, but that's, that's oh, I had a, uh, a lust more than a uh, desire. Right. But I open that door, and you know the way it is. When you smell those fresh, those fresh brownies or that fresh bread or whatever it is that entices you, it doesn't, it is not bashful. It is not looking there and saying, well, I hope I don't offend you, but I'm a brownie and I'm delicious. The funny part that, is it took work for all that to happen. It took yes, it did. on your wife's part. So it's not a, the brownies didn't just appear by themselves. Exactly, exactly. We are the brownie. We are God's brownie. We are his workmanship created in righteousness to do good works, to show forth the praises of God, to bring God glory. Am I going to be a brownie that smells good, or am I going to be, you know, something less exciting, less delicious, less healthy than a brownie, saying, hey, God's, you know, there's some old asparagus. I just know for most believers, um, at least most people that claim to be believers, um, that amazing smell is something either they once had it and have lost it yeah. or they never experienced the fullness of it. Um, my hope and prayer is that, you know, for believers, whether they're new or old, that they will um, uh, take the time and go to God and um, be real. Um, I know you know, depending on how things work as far as the time. Prayer is huge when it comes to discipleship. We haven't even really hit on it yet. Yep. And it's not a small topic. But it's it's one of those things where prayer has to be understood as it's communicating. It's communicating. And so it's not a, um, a reading from a book, although you can read prayers that, that resonate with your heart and read them out to God. But no more, you know, a better choice for me is going to God's word. Um, but, but prayer is, is allowing you to align your heart with his will and spending that time with him. Um, you reading your Bible and listening is prayer. Um, you talking to him is prayer. 
from you being still before him is prayer and crying out to him is prayer. Prayer can be one word. And yet, <laughs> um, we often use many more. What does prayer look like? What would you recommend for the new believer for how to get started with prayer? Uh, one practical, one perceptual, perspectival. Um, perspectival, let me start with. A, a person who has just put their faith in Christ, a person who's just recognized Christ is the Lord of the world, he came to that I could be saved. I need that salvation. You've got to live perpetually coming back to that reality. God did not choose me because I was smart, good-looking, or funny. He chose me. He called me because he loved me for no other reason. And he plucked me out of the road to hell because of his great love. And I need that every single day. So there's a need. There's a very deep need. And I've got to keep that perspective of I constantly live in need in front of me. Because if I constantly, if I recognize I constantly live in need and all of a sudden I'm no, I'm no longer self-sufficient, I'm no longer self-referential. All I know is I, I need and I don't have. If I could have, I would do something about it, but I need, I can't. So now I have to turn to God. I must turn to God for this. Second thing is, um, it's okay to not know how to pray. Um, Jesus turned to the disciple and said, hey, you should be praying. And they essentially said, um, we don't know how to. And he didn't look at them and say, well, you're fools. You should know how to, so go figure it out. The way that I probably would have based on my, my track record with my kids. What he did say is, okay, um, well, in fact, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that, that's probably step number one, is turn to God and say, God, I don't even know how to have this conversation with you. Teach me how to do that. And Jesus then taught them. He said, pray this way. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Maybe that, that's way too, way too weak, actually. There's something really, really beneficial about going through Scripture where someone has prayed and taking that and lifting it totally out of the text and putting it into your own mouth and speaking it back to God. Those are words, that's relationship, that's communication that God himself inspired. He communicated through the Holy Spirit to his prophets, to his apostles, through Christ sometimes, and said, this is, this is how you can come and speak with me, connect with me. Psalms is a fantastic place to do that. Um, there are prayers of Paul in every single letter that he wrote. There are prayers throughout the Gospels. Start there if you don't know what you're doing and start copying them. But as you do that, or maybe not, but in addition, as you're doing that, look at what they're saying, what their mindset is, what their heart posture is as they approach God. What are the things they are saying? What are the things they're asking for? What are the things that they're confessing? What are the things that they are requesting? What are the struggles that they're having? What's their need? And how are they presenting this to God? And, you know, maybe as a, as a, as a 
an exercise. Just jot down a piece of paper or on your phone. This is what I saw them doing. Here's in my own life, here's what my needs are, here's what my struggles are. And here's where I'm not adequate. Here's where I need help. They get back to God. There are there are you know, a lot of good models of how to pray based on many, many good things. Many there's more than I want to go into right now. No, I don't think you need to go into it. I I think <clears throat> at least I believe, you know, starting with God's word is key. And I mean, you can Google it and find prayers in the Bible. Absolutely. I mean, you can use whatever cheats you need. You don't have to hunt them all down yourself the first time. But look at them, rewrite them, pray them, engage with God, and make sure you listen to them as well. Um, make that time. He's living. And as you open your word, look, listen also. Cool. It's me. We're uh, we're already going long. I have. One.